Everyone, you're listening to Ballard Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, and the drunkest one of them all, BFD. Hey, man, how's it going? Woo! Hey, Big Matt. Or oh, I'm sorry, Ron Weasley. Oh, no, George Weasley. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, my, I'm not going to grow up my hair out yet. I don't think I'm going to the Grand Canyon this winter, so the hair is going to stay short. I may go to the desert in like January, but until then, the hair stays short. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, yeah. Or, when, or whenever I decide, just quit postmodern filth and I go die in the desert, work at a gas station. Then I'll grow my hair out real long. But for now, I'm gonna keep it short. So, but kind of before we start, you know, we we usually do the you know, did you know kind of thing. But I wanted to kind of so as as Matt and I were getting ready to to start the the podcast tonight, we were talking about how how um, it's it's. It's weird seeing a team that's seven and three and not being really super excited about it. And so we know that we get to catch a lot of guff for that. And that's, that would be an expectation. Uh, but, you know, we were just kind of talking like, I just, I can't like be emotionally in the game anymore. I'm too analytical about it. And uh, I don't know, I just have been forever. It's just how my brain goes. And so I kind of like, as I got older and aged and mellowed, I quit yelling at the TV. I still don't sit. Like I never sit. So um, there are still things that I do, and I still can get into it, but it's like it, it, there's, a, there's kind of a difference there. So, so we get it that, you know, we catch guff for that. I just thought I should, we should mention that, Matt. Yeah, I mean, on my end, it's like the last game I really cared about with Houston was the 2016 divisional round where Name Redacted blew it just because that was the first time they actually played defense capable of beat Tom Brady. But then afterwards, I was just super despondent that, like, they finally have this defense that could beat the Patriots, but they don't have a quarterback. And it goes all the way back to 2014 while they don't have a quarterback. And so, like, since that game, you know, last year was weird with the injuries. And now this year, I think I've kind of figured out what the Texans are this year. So they are overrated in terms of performance and win-loss record. So they should they, – like, based on performance alone, they're not a 7-3 team. Yet, based off their talent level they're, uh, and the schedule they play, they're 100% a 7-3 team. But the problem is that their performance hasn't matched their talent level at all whatsoever. And so whenever it comes to like, being frustrated about this team, I think it's probably like a 70-30 split based off who I know, who I talk to, and uh, things I read where like 70% of people are super happy. 30% of people are probably like in the camp we are. We're, like, we're happy the team's winning. This winning, streak, this winning streak's really great. This is so much better than last year when they were playing the Ravens in Monday Night Football. And the only thing I remember about that game was Joe Flacco had like a 35-yard run and Terrell Suggs strip-sacked Tom Savage. Like the rest of the games don't matter. They are boring. Uh, it didn't count whatsoever. So like, this is awesome. You know, everything about what's happening right now is great that the team's on this win streak. But like the performance and the way they're winning is super fluky. They can't win again like this next year. Next year, like I'm already expecting the Colts to win the division because they're not going to go six and three one score games. And also the frustrating part is they finally have a quarterback. They have Deshaun Watson. They shouldn't be beating a crappy Redskins team 23-21. They should be beating them, they should be beating them like 30-17. And it's just 
the, like I said, the performance just doesn't match the talent level. And when you have Watt healthy for a year, Clowney healthy for a year, Watson healthy for a year, Hopkins healthy for a year, and what we imagined last year could pause, what this year could be after last year, this year has been like that record-wise, but as far as like enjoyment and talent, it hasn't been that all whatsoever. And so it's just, it's just weird like how the difference between the win-loss record, the talent, and the performance is just so all over the place and how uh, uneven it all is. I don't think I've ever watched a team that was so separate in all three of those uh, performance or three of those ways you can like measure a team. Yeah. Um, and I kind of also go back to um, um, even my expectations at the beginning of the year were that this was an easy 10 win season and playoff contenders because I expected a better offense. And so even I was optimistic going into 2018. I'm the hipster guy who doesn't like anything, right? And even I was strongly optimistic. Like, this is finally the year we're going to beat the Pats. And to see the offense revert, well, we're not seeing the 2017 Deshaun Watson. We'll probably talk a bit, little bit about that. But, you know, the, the uh, DVOA stats are out, and the offense is 25th in the NFL. And so if you can say, hi, I'm, we have Deshaun Watson, we have Lamar Miller, we have DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller and Kiki Cutie has been fantastic. And if you were to say, Hey, but we're 25th in DVOA and those are the, that's the talent level we've got. That's like a serious freaking disappointment to me. Yeah. Yeah, it has been. And it's funny too, cause like the pads don't even matter right now either. And then you watch all these other teams and what they're doing. And like you watch Watson and you watch Mahomes and the, I feel like the talent level, like, isn't that different. Mahomes has a better arm, obviously. But, like, everything else, I don't think there's that much of a difference between the two. But you look at the offenses they run and who's calling the plays and the fact that, like, this year for Andy Reid is the culmination of 35 years of work just kind of, you know, hitting the top of this mountaintop. And, but, like, there's just not that much difference, I feel like, between the two players themselves kind of overall in a way. And that's also what's frustrating, too, is that, you know, Houston finally has a quarterback, but now it doesn't even seem like it, you know, really matters all that much whatsoever. Um, and going back to the DVOA numbers, numbers, you know, you're saying Houston's 24th. You know, this week they only scored 16 points against a below-average defense, and they were propped up by – and also the Redskins' defense is propped up by the number of turnovers they created. Their defense beat Dallas thanks to an end-zone fumble recovery. They allow 500 yards to Tampa, and they only gave up three points, thanks to, like, four fumbles in that game as well, too. And they had four, 18 turnovers entering this game, which is third most in the league. And now they're at 21 after this game against Houston where they had two interceptions and that weird forced fumble slash interception, whatever it is you want to call it. And so even against a defense that is below average, uh, the Texans still only managed to score 16 points. So overall in this game, BFD, do you think Houston did anything well at all in it? Like offensively? Yeah, offensively. We, we didn't. I mean, you look at kind of across the board, there were some serious issues. Um, Lamar Miller and Alfred Blue were horrendous running the ball. We weren't blocking. And I, let's put this game also in, in perspective. Coming into this game, uh, the Potatoes were 21st in DVOA. Now they're 14th. Oh, really? They made that much of a jump? Yeah. So, you know – you have to – I think you have to – again, and you talked about it. It was kind of a bloated defense, and look how well they played against us. So where does that come from? Where does the stem of that – what is the source of that, right? We didn't run the ball worth the poop, and we haven't since, like, the first two weeks of the season, which is ironic when you consider we lost the first three games. 
um, that Alfred Blue is the third worst running back by DYIRAR. Who's only, worse than him? I know, right? And it was only behind uh, Peyton Barber okay. Bay, and Alfred Morris of uh, the 49ers. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, and and uh, he's right there with Peyton Barber, so it's you know one more bad game like Sunday, and he'll he'll pass up Barber. Um, we weren't throwing the ball. Obviously, Deshaun Watson had a very rough game. He was uh, 16 for 24, a couple interceptions, 72.9 quarterback rating, got sacked three times, and he was throwing the ball. Um, he wasn't pushing the ball at all down the field. Yeah which is we talk about the repeatedly, that is a really, really big deal. That is a key to your long-term success as an NFL quarterback. And it, there is nothing. I mean, and, and Matt, some of the play calling was beyond, like, even my ability to process it, that Bill O'Brien is a terrible offensive coordinator, that the play calling was just so bad at times. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll talk about the one thing I saw them do well where the guards are blocking the second level pretty well like, I know, like, overall, they didn't run the ball that effectively, but they had some good, like, eight-yard runs, 12-yard runs, those sorts of things, where Lamar Miller was able to run past, like, the Sam linebacker, and you had Calamente or Zach Fulton at the mic. And so that sort of stuff was pretty good. Uh, I really like that post route that Hopkins ran. I, mean, I can – I'm so mad at CBS. I still have trouble saying the difference between Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins. I Ever since that, like, week two – or that week against Indy, they kept confusing, and my brain is so scrambled since that game. But I love that uh, post-breakoff against cover three that Hopkins ran. I really also like that touchdown Watson threw to Hopkins where you have Kiki Cutie uh, drags both defenders inside. And I have no idea what Josh Norman was doing that play. Maybe that's something you saw in film study, that they want to use Hopkins as the decoy and throw inside. And then Watson saw it and said, I have no idea what you're doing, that hit the – Hit the fade to the corner really well. And that was a great display of arm strength, too. And it wasn't even a throw where Watson, like, really uh, stepped up into it. Like, hur- he uh, hurled himself into the throw. He just kind of just threw it, like, on a flat foot. Just all arm strength. And that was awesome. And so, like, they can make some big plays and some decent plays here and there. But overall, when it comes to running an effective offense, you know, it's kind of another week where Houston struggled. And the biggest problem I have with the offense was what you were mentioning just a lack of downfield passing. Like I think I don't I don't I haven't looked I didn't look up the numbers beforehand for their deep passing numbers, but I think I can only think of maybe three throws that can be classified as downfield throws, which is inexcusable when you have Watson who's such a dynamic downfield thrower. And that's the thing overall that's the most frustrating frustrating to me watching this offense is is just how little they're throwing the ball downfield. I understand the reasoning behind this to limit the number of interceptions, but you know, in this game they uh, Watson had three turnovers and so you know, how much are you gaining by not pushing the ball downfield at times too? And I think the, big, the other reason why is that they don't have Will Fuller, and that was Watson's main downfield target. So, BFD, do you think Houston's going to be able to overcome the Will Fuller injury at all this year? And are you expecting anything from Demarius Thomas at all after he was, I think, blank? I think he only had one catch in this game. I'm excited to talk about our Martinez ranking later on in the show. Um, yeah. Who says that? Who says I'm excited to talk about a guard as part of their, I guess, us? It's dark um, times. It's dark times. <laughs> um, the possibility is there. And I'm going to pull out one example, and that's Jordan Akins. I mean, Jordan Akins was busting the seam, busting the seam a couple times in this game. I mean, this is a guy who can get open and can do damage. 
can we please stop giving Ryan Griffin snaps at this point in time? We know what he is. He's trash. Stop it. Stop it. Get him off the field. Jordan Nakins is good. Really big. Runs pretty well. Runs decent routes. Can block a little bit. And I same with Jordan Thomas, too. Like, both those guys, like, Griffin shouldn't play at all. And one of the things I found funny on the internet is that it takes, ba- it takes bad pro football focus grades for people to realize that Ryan Griffin's bad. Right. And, like, you know, he's been bad for four years now. Nothing has changed whatsoever. It shouldn't take pro football focus giving him a 32, you know, 0.6 or whatever for you to understand that you, Ryan Griffin's just a bad blocker and a limited athlete. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't see it on the screen. I have to talk about that one play. I've got to. Yeah. I've got to. I, I have gone back and watched that. Uh, Rivers did a clip of it on the Twitters. And I watched, maybe watched that play 10 times, just sitting there thinking, who in the hell draws up that play? <laughs> who thinks this is a good idea by any stretch of the imagination? So I've probably not seen this play like 16, 17 times. Anyway, we'll get to and that. The, well, we can talk about that play now, and, the, and we'll talk about full effort to that. But the play you're mentioning was the red zone play action pass where Ryan Griffin pulls from the backside, which they do run a good amount as a way to – Still, the backside defensive and outside zone plays with them. Where like he's not at the point of attack, it kind of you know draws some attention over, and so they side run play action off of it. The problem is that one, Ryan Griffin's a bad blocker, and two, Ryan Kerrigan's waiting on the other side. And Ryan Kerrigan is big and strong, one of the most underrated pass rushers in football. And Ryan Griffin got super shallow on his pull, and he didn't even really adjust Kerrigan's route at all to Watson. He just ran in a straight line. Sacked him from behind. They were lucky it wasn't a fumble at all. And that ended all hope of a touchdown on that series, too. I mean, that's like a play call, like, how can we best destroy this drive? Oh, let's ask Ryan Griffin to go all the way from the right side of the formation to the left to try to stop Ryan Kerrigan. Because, like, like Big Matt mentioned, the whole point of the play action of this play was you have Davenport and, uh, crashing down. So it's looking like it's going to be a run. And so it basically turns into – a play action with kind of a little naked bootleg action going on there. And by the time, you know, Watson didn't have time to get his head around before Kerrigan is on him. And I remember even watching that play as it happened in real time. And I'm processing it thinking there, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> and cause you could see it. You could see, okay, here's Davenport crashing down. He's not going to pick up Kerrigan. Kerrigan's like wide out there too. So there's no way. There was no way Ryan Griffin was going to make that block. Not only because Ryan Griffin sucks, but Kerrigan was so split out wide, there was, there was almost no chance for him because he would have to have gone through Deshaun Watson to block for him. Mm-hmm. How are you that bad of a play caller to design that play and think it's going to be effective and think it's going to work? It's just, it was so just ridiculous, Big Matt. And I'm fine with the play if Ryan Griffin's not blocking it. If you have Thomas or Aikens blocking it, that's fine, you know, go for it. But I would also have a second play in mind if you line up or switch the play the other direction and run it away from – run it at Ryan Kerrigan rather than pull back on him uh, would be the other thing I would, I would do too just because it's just a really tough spot you're putting your player in no matter who your tight end is in that situation against such a good edge rusher that Kerrigan is. Yeah, and when I started thinking about it, my first thought was at least give Griffin a couple steps because then you pull that – you make that play. You give him a couple steps back to the – uh, to the left side of the formation, give him kind of a running head start. And then it starts to look like, oh, he's going to be the fullback blocking. So you can still sell that same play. You're kind of making it look a little bit, maybe like a little bit like a counter. 
uh, and you're still going to have Davenport crashing down. You can, but you can give him help. And he didn't even get any help. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All right. So let's talk about Wolf Fuller and Demarius Thomas. Do you think Houston can overcome the Wolf Fuller injury at all? And you know, we, we haven't seen him throw the ball downfield since they lost Fuller. I know that they only threw three deep pass attempts against Denver the following week. Last week, of course, is the bye. And against Washington, I believe they only threw three, but it may have been four. But those are kind of like dubious ones where uh, Hopkins catches a 17-yard pass that becomes a downfield attempt on a post round, that sort of thing. But I really don't recall like any like big down, like 30-yard heaves. I guess the interception he threw will probably count as one whenever he was being hit, kind of threw off his back foot. But overall, they just really haven't done it. And then also, uh, are you expecting anything from Demarius Thomas all this year after having an okay game against Denver where he had four catches immediately to you know, being out on the field and doing nothing at all in this one? Uh, I, I'm really I'm confused about what we're expecting from Demarius Thomas. Oh, I was looking at the wrong game. I'm an idiot. I saw something research I was doing earlier today. Um, uh, I, I'm confused about Demarius Thomas, especially coming off the bye. I expected him to be a lot more integrated into the offense. Uh, I, I did not expect him to, to basically pull a nothing burger on Sunday. So mm-hmm. I'm a little bit confused why we traded for him and we ain't going to use him. Um, so I would like to really have a good understanding. I mean, I would love to know what the hell they're thinking, why they traded for him, why they're not using him. He still can do some damage, but I think he got one target. Yep, one target on Sunday. Why play him? Why put him out there? Especially coming off of bye as well, too. Yeah, uh, when are you going to integrate him? Yeah, it's really weird to have that coming off a of bye. So that one confuses me. Can we replace Will Fuller? No. We can do a lot of things to help replace Will Fuller, and that's using Demarius Thomas deep. He still has pretty decent deep speed. He's, he's not running the 4-3-9 like he did out of Georgia Tech. He still has decent deep speed, and he's still going to be a great uh, uh, fighter if you throw him a 50-50 ball. And Kiki Cutie, you can use him in a lot of those same areas. You're not going to flip the top like you can with Fuller, but Cutie is pretty guard to confess. What did he run, a 4-4? Yeah, uh, some along those lines. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not talking like we've got Kevin Walter out there. Let's give these guys an opportunity to fill that role and still create that, that ability to throw the ball down the field because now we're just concentrating the ball just kind of right around within the first 15 yards. And that's part of the reason why the, the offense looks so bad is there's no longer a threat. And because of Bill O'Brien's really super conservative play calling, He's not going to push the issue. He's not going to force the issue downfield. But you have to. You have to take risks in order to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same problems that the offense fell into in 2015-2016 whenever uh, Brian Hoyer couldn't throw a deep ball at all, whenever Name Redacted started facing two deep safety looks and couldn't throw any of the intermediate stuff and was trapped in a 15-yard closet. And like, it just pretty much suffocates your entire offense. So in this game, I just uh, did a search with Pro Football, uh, Pro Football References Gameplay Finder uh, and looking at their deep pass attempts. And Watson attempted one deep pass attempt, and that was the Kiki Cutie. And that was the interception that Mason Foster had. And that was a great play by Foster had, even though Watson threw in a triple coverage, but he made that diving, you know, bobbling one-hand interception. And, but that was the only deep passing attempt they had all game. And so, like, Washington does have two good safeties in Swearinger and Clinton Dix, but – with Swearinger, you want to put him in situations where he's playing zone coverage and he's having receivers passed off to him. He's terrible at that part of his game. He's been terrible about, at it his entire career. 
Uh, I mean, I still, you know, my brain's still scarred from 2014 watching all these like just deep wide open device covering him touchdowns because the cornerback's passing over to Swearinger in zone coverage and he fails to do so. But and like you have Josh Norman, who's a who's a good cornerback on Hopkins throughout the game. Yeah, it's still inexcusable though to have you know Cutie and Thomas and Hopkins and not throw any passes all 15 yards on the field. Like you have to give your team chances. And so like really like the offense was horrendous. And they won this game. The best part of their offense was the Justin Reed, you know, 102 yard pick six. Um, and my end thing about Fuller, you know, well, I think we kind of summarized it really well on the last episode we did, where we said if you're training for Demarius Thomas with the idea of replacing Will Fuller, you're making a bad decision because you can't replace Will Fuller. But what you're doing is you're helping smooth out the loss of him. So instead of, you know, having Vincent Smith out there, or, I mean, I can't remember that ex dealers guy uh, name off the top of my head. I'm, I'm gotten so stupid. The guy who doesn't play at all, at all whatsoever, but he's like a big receiver on the outside. I'd rather have those two oh, guys Martin play. Bryant. Yeah, no. So that, no, not Martavis Bryant. It's the other guy. Sam, yeah, Sammy Coates. I'd rather having those guys on the outside, you have Thomas, which is a better option. And yet, like, to come out of the bye and him only having one target is just, you know, really silly. So I think what happened in this game, though, for Houston's offense is they went up and they got a lead. And so rather than keep pushing it and try and put 30 points on the board and win this game without a doubt and not allow Dustin Hopkins to kick a 62-yard field goal for the win, they reverted back in their shell. They ran, ran, shotgun passed, had a lot of pressure on third down. Now. Well, not even that much pressure, just like not a lot of people were open on third down. And then they punted constantly, which allowed Washington to crawl back into this game. Yeah, I couldn't help but I was watching the New Orleans game Sunday night. Sunday evening uh, is that they're exhausting to watch. They are, and isn't that a good thing? I mean, isn't the whole point to to score points so your opponent can't catch up with you? The difference is, is that Bill O'Brien is playing for field goals in the tie, and Sean Payton is is playing to beat your head in. And that's just, I mean, that's this is the NFL. This is what they, we need to be doing. We need to be beating people. Just not don't start running out the clock halfway through the first quarter. Yeah, and that's what that game felt like on Sunday to me. It, was, it felt like Bill O'Brien just wanted to to be done with the game so he could go on to his core's light. Yeah, and th- and that's what he's done during this win streak too. It's like Houston gets a a two possession lead and they're just trying to run the clock out, and then you know they let Juan Clown down in the pass rush. They're also playing some bad passing offenses that struggle to come back from behind whenever they do have a lead as well too. Yeah, whenever I watch the Saints play, I feel like. I'm reading like a really dense book, like a novel by Gerald Murnane at like 10.30 or like 11.30 right before bed. And I can only make it like two pages in before I have to go to bed and uh, completely, you know, fail at that endeavor. So Houston, during the seven-game win streak, they've won six one-possession games after starting 0-3 in such contests. I thought it was five, but they've won six one-possession games. And in this one, Cole McCoy had the opportunity to carry in the arms of cheerleaders for the game-winning drive opportunity of his own. Instead, he heaved a ridiculous third and 10 attempt, which I have no idea why he did that. Even if he completed the pass, Doxon would have been tackled inbounds, which would have had a clock run out anyways. And then they end up having to kick a 62-yard field goal. And if they got even five yards from out bounds, Dustin Hopkins could at least hit the crossbar on that, on that kick as well too. And Houston also had seven points to the end zone touchdown. That was a minimum 10-point swing. Uh, that just in rehab course for 102 yards. So BFD, 
no other team, no other head coach in the history of football is great at consistently winning close games, except for Bill O'Brien. Why is he able to do so? Because we have superior talent. And I think it's that, that is what, it's what tilts the scale. I mean, now we have a quarterback. So at least we have that going for us. We don't have to – we're not, you know, Brian Hoyer or uh, Brock Osweiler or something like that. We're not relying on that kind of guy at quarterback now. But this is simply about we, – we should be 7-3 and three with a plus-minus differential of 100. Instead, we're 7-3, and three, and I bet you our plus-minus differential is like 5. So it, it's just – it's sad to see. It's just it, – we're wasting – this is what kills me. We're wasting another year of J.J. Watts, and we're wasting a development year from Deshaun Watson of playing under this crappy offensive scheme. So that is ultimately the difference. So last year, we had all the bad luck with the one-score games. And this year, we're having all the good luck. And then – but and it's – just think – wrap your head around that. Six and three in one-score games. And it's, it's five 20, and three. I messed up. Five and three, up. sorry. Yeah, five yeah. yeah. I messed up. Uh, five and three in one-score games in 2018 with the schedule we've played. And that's the other big thing is, look, the team – I looked at it earlier. We beat Denver, who was seventh by DVOA. In, uh, Indianapolis is 11th, and we're 14th. So we beat Denver. Did you know, Big Matt, that we won our last two games when the opposing field goal kicker missed field goals on the last play of the game? Mm-hmm. So, I was there for it. Yeah, I saw it happen. <laughs> that's that's what we're that's that's what we're that's luck. That's not skill. And my problem, my biggest problem, ultimately is, is that Bill O'Brien is now really saying. The more conservative I go, the more successful I'll be, is, is the message. That's the reinforcement he's getting, is that I'm, if I just keep it conservative, tell Deshaun Watson, just don't throw any interceptions. Instead of push the damn ball downfield, we're going to score 40 points. You might have an extra interception or two. Oh, well, shrug emoji. We're not doing that. We're just playing super, super conservative football. Yeah. Yeah, and – I think you brought up a great point too by saying, you know, talking about JJ Watt, because I still believe that Houston wasted JJ Watt's prime. Like, he's great this year, you know, the 10 sacks and 10 games, all that sort of stuff, but he's not 2015 JJ Watt. He's not 2014 JJ Watt at all. Uh, that was, you know, two of the greatest defensive seasons of all time. And so, I mean, I, I, do, I do still believe they wasted his prime. Like, this level of him is him slightly dropping off, and he's still you know, the best all-around defensive end in football right now, too, at, at a slight, you know, downturn, I think, in his career. And so you finally have – so you have him healthy again finally after him missing the last two years, and he's playing every game this year. He's healthy, and instead your offense is once again, you know, dragging down, dragging down the defense. And so I think already, you know, if you extrapolate this into the playoffs, you say, okay, they win the division. Let's say they get – uh, the Ravens in the first round, they beat the Ravens because the Ravens have to run the ball to win, and they shut down you know, Lamar Jackson or whoever's playing or whatever. In the second round, no matter who they play, whether it's the Chargers, the Patriots, the Chiefs, or the Steelers, or even the first when they play any of those teams, all those teams can spread them out and actually attack their lack of quarterback talent. Unless Juan Clowney are just absolutely you know, incredible and they each have you know, two sacks and 12 quarterback hits, which could happen. Uh, it's not reasonable for it to happen, for that not to happen, but unless that happens, they're not going to be able to play with those teams just with great passing offenses. And then you have an offense that's been conservative all year. All of a sudden they're having to push the gas and try to score 30 points. 
when they haven't been asked to do it all that the entire year. And you can't just flip the switch like that immediately. And so like, extrapolating right now into the future, like you're already just kind of making the feat that they're not going to be able to beat any of these four teams at all whatsoever. And that's what uh, also really sucks too about the seasons that Watt's healthy, you know, Clowney's here, he's healthy, Watson's healthy, and everything kind of plays together when you can include the schedule and everything else. And it's all going to end up just being for nothing. And so I think a lot of fans have already kind of talked themselves into, you know, O'Brien in this year and enjoying, you know, this playoff run that's been very short just by saying that, well, at least Watson had another year to develop. At least we got to watch Watt another year. We're going to be so much better next year. But that's not how it works. Uh, progression isn't linear. And also with the amount of, you know, luck Houston has had this year to expect this to carry on next year with a tougher schedule that's going to happen by default. Uh, I think it's completely unreasonable. It's like everything's aligned so perfectly right now, and the opportunity is there for Houston to actually like have a first round bye. They could actually probably beat New England this year. I think they could even possibly you know beat the Steelers if they could score 31 points. Yet the offense doesn't look like it's ever going to reach that level, and it's just kind of like it's it just is it's just hard because the talent's there. Everything went as perfectly as it could go, and it just doesn't seem like in the postseason it's going to matter very much. No, and and let's have a little fun too. So, Houston, as I mentioned earlier, is 25th in DVOA right now. Here are the teams behind us: Tennessee, San Francisco, um, Jacksonville, Cleveland, the Jets, Cardinals, and the Bills. Matt, that sounds like our schedule. Yeah, it does. And, and also, I mean, also, if you go back and just look at the worst passing offenses, you can include Denver in that. Uh, I think if you just include name redacted only Miami, you could probably have that in there as well, too. They'd play the Jets, you know, which is down in there. The Colts have been better, but that Colts game, you also have to think that Luck was only in his fourth game of the year, and T.Y. Hilton got hurt in the first quarter. And so they were stuck throwing to, you know, uh, I don't even think Ryan Grant was even healthy for a lot of that game, too. I can't remember who they were made. There's just so many backups they were throwing to in that one as well. So, yeah, it's like it's been a complete – like their, their best thing, their run defense has aligned perfectly with their schedule because they play a bunch of different teams who can't throw the ball and have to run the ball, and they can't run the ball that well to begin with too. Except yeah. for Denver. Yeah, and that, again, if you look at the bottom five by passing DVOA, it's Jacksonville. Or, I'm sorry, let's pick the six so we get Tennessee in there. Tennessee, Jacksonville, Cleveland, Jets. Arizona and the Bills. So we play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. God, that blows my mind. Seven games against the five worst pass offenses in the NFL. So yeah. Almost half the schedule. Wow. And then if you look five spots above that too, I'm sure uh, Denver's included around that as well. And you can add another team in there. Yeah. Well, Dallas is is in Dallas um, too. Is, is the next one after. Going up the list. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Dallas going up. Dallas, Washington, Miami. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of our 16 games are against the worst, eight worst passing offenses in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote about that, too. I wrote that film room on uh, J.J. Wall and Jadavion Clowney in the Texans' run defense. And that, you know, the schedule being the biggest reason for the seven-game win streak. And you add that plus the you know two of the best run defenders in football on the defensive line. I think Clowney's the best run defender 
uh, best run defending defensive end in football. And when you go up against those two, squeeze everything inside, there really isn't uh, that much of a shot. So going back to the offense, the last thing I want to talk about is the offensive guard play. Because Taneo Calamente got hurt, Zach Fulton got hurt, and replacing was Greg Manx and Martinez Rankin. And despite this, and even you know, despite going up against a good interior pass rush that Washington has with Darren Payne, Jonathan Allen, and Matthew Ioannidis, uh, they really didn't allow that much interior pressure. The only time that really came up to me was whenever Julian Davenport's going to get credit for a sack against Preston Smith. But the reason for the sack was because Manx got uh, driven back on a bull rush. Kendall Lamb got driven back on a bull rush. Deshaun Watson couldn't step up, so he was deep in the pocket. And Preston Smith was just kind of taken into Watson by having such a deep rush. But Davenport had a good pass on that. That really wasn't on him. It was more on the opposite side of it. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, interior pressure with Rankin at left guard um, and Manx over, Manx over there at right guard. So did you see anything with the offense line in general? And then also, are you pro-Martinez Rankin guard? Or are you uh, – this is like a Team Edward, Team Jacob sort of thing. Are you – uh, team Edward, Martinez Rankin should play guard. Are you Team Edward or Team Jacob like me and thinks Martinez Rankin should play right tackle in the future? Are you making a freaking Twilight reference on the show? Uh, yeah, I am. It's 2018, so I can. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, don't, I can't even process this. Say it. Uh, what, I am for, what I'm for is I'm for letting Rankin give it a shot at guard. Ultimately, I do think he's going to be a better right tackle. Uh, but he showed uh, some good. Uh, you mentioned earlier, and I was really excited that you did that. You showed the ability to get to the second level, probably maybe better than any guard we've seen since the Mike Grizzell days. And that was exciting to see. So, it, you know, I, to, to see that from that position, guys, the dude is quick. He's damn quick. And I don't know if he's going to have the strength to stick at guard. And that's why I think ultimately he winds up as the right tackle. But it was really nice seeing a guard get to the second level and make like blocks on the mic. Big Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that power play was a great example. And I think what was great about that play that people are like, Oh, he blocked the second level, but it's not really that is that he got outside placement on an outside run rather than inside placement where that guy can come back over and make a play on the ball. And that was what was really cool about it. I, I think I'm going to have to go back and watch the all 22 on it. Even though I really don't want to, I'd rather spend my life doing other things, but uh, with my love for Martinez Rankin, I may have to. And also, I'd like to check in on Julian Davenport as well. I, I, my thing with Rankin at tackle is that he showed he could play tackle at Mississippi State, going up against you know, teams like Alabama and LSU. You know, this year, he didn't have a training camp at all, had a foot injury, got thrusted into the left tackle spot immediately after, again, not really having a training camp at all. And it didn't work out. It was a terrible mistake. And uh, it was an awful decision. They didn't help him out whatsoever. The, the Texans were mainly just running you know, one by zero by four personnel of the shotgun, which put a lot more pressure on the pass blockers. And it was, it was a terrible decision to do that. And so now he's been on the bench and now he's playing guard. Uh, everybody just wants him to play guard now because of this one game. Yeah, I do think, you know, he has more value, a right tackle. He can play right tackle. He's a little bit slower. I think he, he kind of reminds me of Derek Newton as well too, where he'll be a better run blocker than pass blocker, but he'd be, he could become an adequate uh, pass blocker. And, again, like, a tackle is more valuable than a guard. And the Texans have more guards. Like, Helmente signed next year. Zach Fulton signed for two more years. So why not, next, going into next year, have them train at right tackle all year long, give them a shot at right tackle, and compete with whoever from there? Yeah. Um, 
I would say though, I think Derek Newton. He, I mean, to me, Derek Newton was a, a damn fine uh, run blocker. I think uh, that Rankin at least has the opportunity to be a better, much better pass blocker than Newton, but not nearly the run blocker. So I think you're, you're might, there might be a little bit more imbalance there. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I really, I think that's a good comparison. I think Rankin's feet are a little bit better. Yeah, I, I can see that. And Newton, it took him so long to start playing low to actually use his strength. He was strong, but he was just too high. Too and then, yeah, and then whenever he went from like 2013, 2014, that's when you saw him actually start playing low and driving guys to the ball at Brooks. And again, like one of the best offensive lines he's ever had was 2015. And nobody really thinks about that. They think Houston's offensive line's been bad since 2012, which, which isn't true. That uh, 15 line was really good. But, you know, I, I do want to say a thank you again for calming my heart down and uh, making me relax and just say, hey, the offensive line, these are all new guys. Just give them some time. They'll be better. And they have been a lot better. And also the scheme changes O'Brien has made has made, the, being, has made playing offensive line a lot easier too, which has helped them out. So it's good, like, not crying watching Julian Davenport play it all anymore and having my feelings hurt. So I, it's, that's been a, a plus. And like seeing Kendall Lamb be, you know, somewhat being competent has been uh, interesting to watch too. So overall, like I'm really happy with how the offensive lines come together. And like I mentioned earlier in the year that it was going to be better than people expected it to be. And now we're finally seeing that over the past you know month or so. Yeah. Um, I think the, the best news out of all is, is that this is the first year you mentioned the first year they've played together. Offensive line, that's just super, super important. Unlike the Giants, who only have, like, one guy who's, like, a real starter on their offensive line, there are, like, six or seven legit offensive starters on this offensive line playing right now. Yeah. And so it, and, it, and they're not paying Nate Solder $17 million. Yeah, yeah. And who's playing just as poorly as Davenport. I bet they're probably playing about as well. But uh, so, so there's a lot of upside to this offensive line. If you want to get really excited about one position's future, it's this offensive line. I, I watch these guys. They're quick. They're going to get it. Uh, I think it was a super big deal that Rankin didn't get a, a training camp in. That first year coming in, to me, that is a really super, super big deal. So mm-hmm. it's just going to take some time for them to gel. We might be sitting here uh, two years from now talking about how dominant the offensive line is. My, yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, whenever I have to watch the offensive line play, I have to watch you know, other teams out there. Um, so it's, it's, always, it's always fun. Uh, so we'll, we'll take a quick, a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about the defense for a little bit, and then we'll do some you know, playoff discussions with the new odds that came out, and then we'll quickly preview the Tennessee game, and uh, that'll be the end of the show tonight. So we'll be right back in just one second. And we're back. So on defense, Washington didn't move the ball well at all. The Texans were able to devour the run game as always. So Washington's running backs had 2.94 yards in attempt. Adrian Peterson uh, had 16 of those. They gave three other carries to the other backs, which is super weird too. I do, I do still feel like Capri Bibb should get more attempts than he did. But the, the good parts of the running for Washington were, of course, from Alex Smith and Colt McCoy. I know whenever McCoy came in, the only thing they did well at all was be able to scheme some good run plays with him, which is kind of interesting too when you think about Texans, the Texans' run defense against you know, Lamar Jackson potentially or against the Kansas City Chiefs potentially as well too. Uh, they were also able to get consistent pressure on third down in Washington like they've done all year. I refuse to throw the ball deep. I think they 
only targeted uh, Sharice Wright twice downfield, which is also inexcusable, just like the Broncos too. But that's a matchup you have to take advantage, and they didn't as well. And the star of the game was Brent Scarlett with his 94.4 PFF rating. So, uh, BFD, if you're playing inside linebacker behind DJ Reader, J.J. Watt, Jadavion Clowney, and then the, the menagerie of, of Dunn, Blackson, and Covington, and that, and that trio of guys, uh, what would your PFF grade be if you played behind those players? Well, you gave yourself a 57. I saw that tweet. Yeah, and I, I think, think I can pull off a 57. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good number for you. Now, me, you're like, whatever, 6'7", 842 pounds, whatever you are. I'm, I'm 6'6", 215 right now. Yeah, whatever. And <laughs> he's, this is a big dude, guys, people. This is a, he's a big dude. And, so, and I'm 5'10", 170. So I'm thinking if you put up a 57, I'm maybe a, a 43 because I'm just a speed bump. But still, people would be tripping all over me because, you know, a lot of the dirty works are already being done. Yeah, you just have to chase and tackle is all. <laughs> that's, all that's all the 48-year-old guy with no knees is going to make a lot of plays out there. <laughs> I think you probably could have picked off that interception Alex Smith threw that Brent Scarlett had. Scarlett had? Oh, yeah. God, that was a gimme and a half. That was just – that was a terrible pass. Especially because he threw it behind him, too. It was like he was targeting Scarlett. It was like he was throwing a back shoulder pass on crossing pattern. <laughs> that, was, that was fun. Yeah, and I had good hands. I still have good hands. I could have called it. <laughs> I, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is that you know, everybody's lying Brent Scarlett <laughs> maybe as a, a possible like your next good run defender or next good defender because uh, he filled in you adequately for Zach Cunningham and it was good that he played well uh, without cutting him out there, but he hasn't done anything at all overall uh, since he came since he came to Houston. I do like the idea of him playing inside linebacker more than out. You know, I like him playing inside linebacker just because he doesn't have the speed to play on the outside. He hasn't offered really much of anything as a pass rusher since he's been in Houston, and so to have like a backup inside linebacker uh, at like the least probably valuable position you can have on the defense with how good everybody is in front. We'll play next to McKinney. Uh, is good, but the fact that like it's more just poking fun of these PFF grades where he scores a 94.4 and his name's an all PFF team against a terrible Washington offense with like you know four of the best uh front seven players in football around him. Yeah, um, and it's funny too because he on the blog he's got like a cult like following. Like Brennan Scarlett, a couple of people in particular keep saying that Brennan Scarlett, dude's a Hall of Famer. I mean, it's just really it's funny. It's, it's a couple of the true homers. And every time I see that, I laugh. Like, this guy is like a, the 53rd, 54th guy on your roster, right? You go, there are 10 guys that come out every year with the same skill set he has. And the only reason he's getting playtime is because these UO4 is hurt. Yeah, so and he's, please, he's been here forever, too. Yeah, can we please just, like, be realistic about these guys? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the other thing I really liked on defense to this game were both Kareem Jackson's uh, leg-splitting sack of Alex Smith. I guess it's weird always to see a leg do that because you feel like the leg is like a really strong, sturdy thing. And then you see something like that, so I guess it's, it's really kind of fragile after all anyways. And then also Tyree Matthew had, I believe, his uh, fourth sack on the year. And both of these sacks were just complete free rushes because they have J.J. Wanjadavion Clown on the outside where the back focuses their attention on him and rather than looking, out, looking inside out on the blitz pickup 
Uh, they just ignore the safety coming completely to go help out with the defensive end, allowing these free rushes and these uh, easy sacks too. So is your heart full of admiration for Emil Cornell's uh, run blitz scheme lately? I, I tell you what, you know, one thing the Texans have never had as a franchise is a safety that can actually blitz and not embarrass themselves. Like, I can't think of one. Like, we've had some cover safeties. We had Glover Quinn was not that guy. He was our – Glover Quinn was our best safety. Uh, and probably still our best safety in, in franchise history. And now all of a sudden you've got Tyron Matthew. He can still do it. He can do that. He can blitz for you. And you've got – and I, that was his third on the year. But Kareem Jackson, when he blitzes, he's sexy. It mm-hmm. just I, it turns me on. I, I get physically aroused. He is good at getting to the quarterback. And that was his first sack of the season, but he's gotten close several times. And it just, yeah. man, he is good at it. So, yeah. They like, to, they like to use him as a run blitzer, too, a lot, especially on the backside. They just pair him with Water Clowney and just let him chase and tackle, and he's so good at it. Yeah. And it's just seeing that those plays happen, it's just. Boing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I guess also, you know, it's about Matthew, too. You know, my thing with Matthew has always been, like, he's fine. He's an okay player. I just don't like his persona. He's just so annoying, and he thinks he's so much better than he actually is. And, like, all the plays he's made are free, completely free sacks. He's had two interceptions where the running back drops the ball, and he's constantly holding tight ends. He can't play coverage with them because he's too small. And then he also gets beat by, you know, smaller receivers in coverage. And he makes some tackles and cleans up the run game and stuff like that. But 100% like a one-year deal. I'm really glad that Brian Gaines is a very smart man, it seems like, and that the fans aren't the general manager of the team. Because it seems like this is a sort of one-year risky deal that they're not going to bring him back on. And also you have Andre Howell, Justin Reed, and Jackson who can play safety. And you expect Houston to go after cornerback play in the offseason, potentially draft a cornerback with their uh, first-round pick this year, that we won't see Matthew after the season. And so he's fine. He's whatever. But he's not, you know, the, the leader of the team and the source of energy, the, the big sun in the center of the defense as people uh, have him be just because of how, like, obviously obnoxious he is all the time. Yeah, and I wish you guys could see me right now because I'm making the big wanking <laughs> because of all the BS about Matthew. No, and, and so now is a good time to bring up, I think, Justin Reed. And you kind of did. Yeah. But in that pick. And Justin Reed has some learning to do because he got the big pick and he got really scorched by Jordan Reed on the touchdown a little bit later. So, and also that cutback Peterson had, he didn't flow outside like he should have with two guys in front of him playing the inside gap and allow a touchdown on that play too. Yeah. So he, he still has some work to do, but Tyron Matthews is not going to be the long-term answer. And as long as um, – and look at this. You know, Kareem Jackson's 30. So he's, getting, he's on the wrong side of 30 at this point because he is 30. He seems like he's 37, like he's been there forever. Forever, right? But he's easily got two more years in him, especially at safety. Don't, we can't use him in the slot. We're going to have to do something about that. But if you keep him at safety and you, you limit him to about 75% of the snaps, Andre Howell is still tied up for a couple more years. You have Justin Reed on the rookie contract. Look, y'all, safety ain't so bad right now. You know, considering what this franchise has gone through at the safety position, it ain't bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good example, too, of how quickly things can change because, you know, the free safety for so long – or the strong safety for so long had been, you know, Kendrick Lewis, Raheem Moore, 
uh, Quentin Demps, AFC, AFC Defensive Player of the Month, Quentin Demps, uh, excuse me. And so they kept revolving around these guys, DJ Swearinger. And so it's cool to have like, you know, three competent safeties back there, four competent safeties, and, uh, and that sort of thing too. So I'm also – I don't want Kevin Johnson to come back and play this year either just because I don't think I could stomach watching him and Matthew uh, just charade around the field with their constant just, I don't know, flamboyancy, is, if you want to call it that. Uh, they're just two guys who just aren't as good as the way they act on the field. No, and if you're going to act like that, you got to earn it. I mean, yeah. look, I love, I love today's TD celebrations. I love them. I, I just don't even It's almost been basketball for me, though. Yeah. It's almost been like the intro of basketball. I'm like, you know. There was the Irish line, uh, line dance thing. There was they, one of those. Who did it? I can't remember now who did it. I have to look that up because, man. Oh, I, so I get it. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. And I don't mind, but – uh, there was, there was, I can't remember who, oh, it was a Texan. I can't remember who it was now. But I remember they would, like, make a tackle after a 13-yard run and get up like they just got their 14th sack of the game. It sounds like Brandon Harris. He did the same thing. Too. <laughs> it might have been. He but, was yeah. great because he would draw those pass interference penalties and, like, wave his arms everywhere and then turn around and see the yellow flag. And it was there every single time. Yeah, that's why I think you got it. I think it was him. Uh, he was so bad. Second round pick. Yay! Sleep, uh, sleep tight, sweet angel. Second or third? Second, I think. Yeah, he was second. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned, you know, Justin Reed. On that pick six, he had what was really great about is that he had good possession. He had good position on Reed in coverage. But rather than sit there and play Reed and kind of hover the top of him and try to swipe something over, he watches Alex, Alex Smith's eyes and follows the ball instead. That allowed the interception. And also, like, he outran, like, five offensive linemen with 30 yards ahead of him instantly. J.J. Watt's really funny watching the run back because he's exhausted and can barely even move at all. And Reed just flies past him as well, too. So that's, kind of, it's, that's a fun play to kind of go back and watch again after Reed has the ball and just watching everybody else kind of move towards the end zone after that point. Yeah, my son and I were watching the game together when that happened, and he was just like, uh, he was just like, yeah, they're not. Why are they even running? <laughs> why is anybody yeah. even running out there? It was just so bad. I mean, I guess you've kind of got to. What happens if, if you know the turf monster gets Justin Reed or something? But it was so ridiculous. And go and going back to the play, he read the heck out of that. That was not a play based mm-hmm. on his physical ability. That was a play based upon film study. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And so he also did give up that touchdown to Jordan Reed. So the Texans were 31st in pass defense DVOA against opposing tight ends during this game. The only the team ranked 32nd is the Oakland Raiders. The Oakland Raiders are a team where uh, Lamar, man, where Derek Johnson started inside linebacker for him week one. That's how bad their linebacker talent is. And so they're the only team worse than Houston DVOA. I believe Houston is 50.8%. The Raiders are at 60%. And so Jordan Reed had seven catches for 71 yards and touchdown. Vernon Davis had a really big drop where he was wide open uh, to in this game, running kind of one of those uh, swing routes out of, out of the flex tight end wing position. And it's weird because they have the talent linebacker, they have the talent safety, and it's also not like Reed was just sitting open in holes in the zone because the safeties are playing out wide because of lack of cornerback uh, talent. They're just getting beat by these guys. And in this game, you know, Reed beat uh, Krim Jackson, he beat Justin Reed. I believe he beat Matthew once. He drew a holding penalty against Matthew. Uh, and he also sat in zone coverage. And so no matter what they did to try to cover him, they couldn't. 
And we saw the same thing with Jeff Howerman last week. Uh, so, like, whenever we're looking at the rest of the year, you know, they have to play Zach Ertz one more time. Johnny Smith in Tennessee has become a capable tight end. Eric Ebron's going to be there. The Jaguars don't have a passing offense at all. Uh, David Njaku in Cleveland's a really good tight end. And also in the playoffs, you have Kelsey, you have Gronkowski. You have, you know, I guess the, the, uh, the Chargers really don't have a, have a tight end at all. And then the Steelers use that combination of Vance McDonald and Jesse James. And either one of them, it's a coin flip, but one of them can have a big game too. So this isn't a problem that's going to go away. It's going to be kind of a terminal, terminal illness for the rest of the year. And are you thinking that there's anything they can do to fix this position? And why, is it, why have they been so bad at covering tight ends as well? Well, Justin Reed's a rookie at, a, at safety, and not a lot of guys transition well into that. Kareem Jackson, there we've had to use him in the slot corner position, so he hasn't been able to help out, And uh, depending upon the matchups, of course. I don't like Sharice, right? I don't even want to talk about him. It's been Tyron Matthew. He's just a holding machine, you know? That's why I think he's a one and done. I think he's out of here. And because the funny thing is, with all the penalties he's gotten, I don't think they're even catching him, like, remotely enough. So it's, I think it's just a matter of Justin Reed developing and learning, getting Jackson back, or he's playing with the face to the ball a lot more. And, uh, but that's not going to happen this year. I don't see how that improves drastically in 2018. Yeah. And I mean, I think what you want to have whenever you're covering a tight end is, or like really great tight ends is that you want to put a corner on him. Uh, I know like AJ Boye does a great job against tight ends because they don't have the speed at all to get around him. And so the strength is an issue. You just have to play him differently. And really the biggest thing you have to do is you have to be able to crash hard on the ball and come over the top to make plays on him, and also be able to undercut, undercut the routes that they run. And so whenever you're using safeties, you don't have the same level of speed, and you're also having the size issue too. So I think you either have to go with the linebacker and run the risk of you know getting beat by speed, or you just leave a cornerback out there and you make sure that you have good tackling safeties behind them, which the Texans do to kind of cover from there. Uh, yeah, it is kind of weird, though, that, you know, I, and I think that's why the Texans have had so much trouble with tight ends is that they're not using any cornerbacks at all, rarely. It's always safeties and linebackers and zone coverage. Well, yeah, and, and what kind of choice do we have? Because our, our cornerback position is Jonathan Joseph and the Jokers of the Week. So I don't yeah. know where we've got much of a choice to do that. I'm kind of sad there's no Mike Tyson in this game. I don't even think of him. <laughs> he was he's too like busy chewing on the ears. Yeah, he's like six foot one, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back to answer – to talk about the playoff picture, answer some uh, listener slash reader questions, whatever you want to call yourself, and then we'll briefly preview Monday Night Football. And we'll be right back in just one second. I keep forgetting that I can that I can take a break and not have to do this all live for going through the listener questions. I feel so stupid now. <laughs> Cause I should have I shouldn't have done what I just I should have just waited, you know, fifteen seconds. My brain's uh, I got millennial rock brain from all this internet, you know. Right. Yeah. All right. And we're back. So taking a look at the AFC South or the AFC playoff picture. Uh, the Colts destroyed the Titans. The Titans lost Marcus Mariota in the first half because of a stinger that he had. The Colts controlled the line of scrimmage the entire game. Andrew Luck found T.Y. Hilton deep once and completed it, created another deep pass with a defensive penalty uh, call. They ran a really cool 
a touchdown toss to Jordan Wilkins as well. The Jaguars lost in a heartbreaking fashion to the Steelers. And so right now we have the Colts at 5-5, five and five, the Titans are 5-5, five and five, and the Texans are 7-3. and three. The F- football outsiders for their playoff odds, they have Houston with an 89.1% chance of making the playoffs, a 75.6% chance to win the division, a 22.9% chance to the bye, uh, and then their most likely spot where they're going to land the postseason is 28.9%, which is the three seed. And right now that's looking to be either Baltimore or Indianapolis after the Ravens beat the Bengals and the Bengals having one of the worst linebacking and safety groups in football and, uh, and just constantly give up 500 yards a game. The Colts, as I mentioned earlier, are 5-5. Five and five. Their playoff odds are 36.6%, and they have a 16.7% chance of winning the division. And the Titans are still kind of there playing the Texans on Monday Night Football, and they have a 13.8% chance of winning the division. And so, BFD, did you watch? I guess we'll talk about the Colts in a second. Uh, you, are you kind of landing right now the most likely spot for the Texans in the playoffs is going to be that three seed playing inside their, you know, Indy, Baltimore, Cincinnati? Yeah, and I think looking at the playoff odds, Indy's up to 36.6% after this week. Yeah, overall. So they have yeah. a 16.7% chance of the division, and the rest kind of falls for that six seed. Yeah, but they're, I think they are second for that uh, wall card now. Yeah. So I, I don't know if Cincy's going to make – Cincy's not a good team. Ugh. Yeah, they're weird whenever they don't have A.J. Green on offense, and they're pass blocking better. And Dalton's thrown some nice downfield passes, but he's made too many mistakes and thrown way too many interceptions. And I think, like, on defense, they have a great defensive line, and they have pretty good cornerbacks. But if you have two different layers of your defense that are horrendous, you can't play. So, like, they have awful linebackers, awful, awful safeties. And if you have one big hole in defense, I think you can survive because the rest of the defense kind of, like, blankets over and helps out that section. A good example was Carolina, where they had a great defensive line, great linebackers who can cover the field, uh, decent safeties. And so your cornerback plays as important because they have to cover less of the field with the amount of speed they have linebacker. And whenever you have two big holes in your defense, I really think, like, you just can't play at all. You're just going to give up 500 yards like the Bengals have been doing. Yeah, and <clears> – <throat> excuse me. Sorry about that. And also think that just if you look at it from a – Purely from quarterback play, I would much rather have Andrew Luck than the Red Rocket. Yeah, of course. And Luck, Luck's been fun to watch, too, because he doesn't have, like, the sideline arm strength anymore, but he has, like, the, the volleyball. Like, instead of spiking a volleyball, he's hitting it underhand, just hitting these, like, really high, lofting, you know, serves that nobody can do anything with. He's just throwing it over, guys. But, like, the speed and the velocity isn't there, but he can throw it really far again. And it's just super cool seeing all the touch, like his footwork, and uh, how smart of a quarterback he is, too. Yeah, and he's got T.Y. Hilton back, and Eric Ebron's not embarrassing himself with drops right now. Yeah. So he's got a couple weapons. And Marlon Mack's been playing well. And Quentin Nelson is the most badass guard in the league all of a sudden. Yeah. I, uh, I do like Naheem Hines, too, as a pass catcher on the backfield. And I've been a Marlon Mack fan ever since he stiff-armed Jadavion Clowney in Week 17 last year. Like, when he did that, I was like, that's talent. That's something that you can do things with. And uh, it's been really cool to see him, like, have 100-plus yard games since he's come back from his injury this year. Yeah, and that's why I hate Alfred Blue so much. And I don't even hide it. Is we see a guy like Hines out there, and that's your, your, your next like man up. round pick, yeah. Yeah, like, and then we're running passes. Alfred Blue with his 3.2 yards of carry this year. 3.2. I can get 3.2 yards of carry, Matt. I've got better lean. 
And they brought him back also. Okay. Why? And he can't go out and get more of that from a hug. How hard is it to find a backup running back? Look at guys like uh, John Kelly in, uh, for the Rams and, and Ito Smith. There are guys out there that you can get in the later rounds that don't suck. Yeah. Yeah. He's never going to go away either. No. Yeah, so we, we had three listener slash reader questions tonight. The first was from Texans Kool-Aid on Twitter. He said, DJ Reader, Christian Covington, Brandon Dunn. I don't know if I would include Reader on this, but I would include D'Angelo Blackson on this list. Uh, he said, how are the other guys on the line doing? And so I recently you know, watched on Clowney. And one of the things I kind of learned watching them was everybody else just really – like Reader's good. He's not exceptional. He's not the best uh, you know, nose tackle in football as you know, some people laud him as being. He's good. He's just not super disruptive at all. And, uh, and, like, the biggest thing he does is he doesn't get moved backwards on double teams, but he doesn't control double teams. And what makes him a lot better is the fact that he has Zach Cunningham and Arjun McKinney behind him. And those are guys that can take on linebackers. Uh, whenever they come off the block slower, they can take them on, uh, go, through, go right through their chest, and go make plays on the ball. But they're still getting blocked at times, and Reader doesn't you know, do the best job at you know, devouring both aspects of it, which is a really hard thing to do. I'm just saying he's good. He's not the best nose tackle in football at all. And he doesn't like super stand out. But the rest of the guys I've been watching in Dunn and Blackson uh, and Covington is like, it's just a whole lot of nothing. They're just kind of there. Covington's probably the worst of the bunch. He's just rolling around the ground most of the time. And, you know, again, it doesn't really matter, though. You have J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney who are just kind of being disruptive, doing whatever they want, and focusing everything back inside to McKinney and to Cunningham and allowing them to make tackles from there. And then you have really good tackling safeties behind that can clean things up. Yeah, you, you mentioned Reader. He was a lot more disruptive last year. He seems to really be having a down year this year. I just – he's the one guy who has not taken that step forward as a young player on the defense. And that's kind of mm-hmm. been disappointing. I still think he's got it. I, I still think at some point he's going to be the third best nose tackle in football. But he's just – he seems to have taken a step back. Yeah. And I mean, it's a really hard job to do too. It's not, it's not easy at all having to eat up those double teams constantly. It's just like, I've just watched better guys in the league doing it. Uh, like watch Brandon Williams at Baltimore. Like he'll grab both offensive line with each arm and stand there and sit. And then allow you know, Zudon or Mosley come over the top and make plays from there as well. And so like, they're just, I don't know, they're just a bunch of guys. And kind of the nice thing about having Wild Clown is you don't have to pay, that's one position you don't have to pay for. And you can just draft a fifth-round pick and throw him out there, and you'll be okay. Right. <laughs> and then Joel Heath is the other guy, of course. I knew that there was one more guy. So you have Blackson, Dunn, Covington, and Heath. And we haven't seen Carlos Watkins at all yet this year. And I'm so glad we haven't because I have enough trouble uh, saying Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins. I do not need a Carlos Watkins on the field to have to think of either. <laughs> yeah, and there's that's – and I, I fully agree with you, by the way, that they, those guys are all interchangeable to me. None of them stand out. They're all guys who are drafted lower at DFAs, and that's what you have. Yeah. And that's kind of – and that's the cool thing about, you know, Juan Clowney and how great they are, that it's nice to have positions that don't matter because of how good they are. And it's kind of the same thing with Brent Scarlett having such a great game. The current pro football focus is that he plays with a bunch of really good players in front of him. Yeah. I have four tackles. That game. <laughs> and you caught you caught that interception too. I might have dropped it, but you caught it. I palmed it, man. I didn't even need to answer that one. I palmed that sucker. So uh, the other question we had from the side, this one was from the side. This was from Pearl Onions. 
He said, seeing how the Texans have beaten the odds, you're now 7-3, what do you think the odds are that they win the most? He said, what do you think the odds are they win most of their remaining games to finish 11-5 or better? How about lose more and they win to finish 9-7? and What do you really think? So I wonder if, if by beating the odds, he means that a team that starts 0-3 and making the playoffs has been done. But the other catch with that kind of disclaimer with it is that this team shouldn't have started out 0-3. I mean, again, if I said this was an easy 10-win team with 12-win upside, and I'm going to be super conservative on that, I mean, we're starting off 0-3 against three trash teams, what odds are we actually beating? So it's just a matter that this team is so poorly offensively coached that we are hamstrung at all times. I think it's just as possible that we went out, except for the Eagles, I think the Eagles beat us, that we went out every game as we do as we lose uh, five. Yeah. Just because with these one-win games or one-score possession games, who knows what the heck's going to happen. And Bill O'Brien's not going to play for a win. He's going to play for the dadgum tie even if the math doesn't work. Yeah, I always say he, he just kind of just scrapes his nose across the finish line and just does the bare minimum. Yeah, so Houston plays t- Tennessee this Monday, Cleveland the following week, Indy, then they go to New York to play the Jets, which is a 3.30 game for whatever reason. Then they get the Eagles on, Sunday, on Saturday night football right before Christmas, or I guess it's Sunday, that's a Sunday game. And then they play the Jaguars uh, the last week of the year. And so, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think if you flip a coin six times, you can get six heads, you can get six tails. I think they're going to lose eventually. I think they'll probably go, you know, four and two. The toughest game they're going to have is Indy because Indy does have a really good passing offense right now. And with T.Y. Hilton, who always obliterates Houston, who loves playing Jonathan Joseph. Joseph's a guy who really struggles against fast receivers who can run downfield. Uh, he has for the past three years or so, even going back to, you know, 2014, if you watch that game against Tampa Bay, you really have a bunch of problems against Mike Evans and all those vertical receivers uh, really give him problems. And so against the Colts, they actually have a passing offense that can spread them out. They have an offensive line that can pass block well enough to give luck time. And so I think that's going to be the toughest game, but the rest of these games are against teams who have to run the ball and except for Philly and the Philly has been, you know, just bad so far this year. And so I think Houston can go 0 and 6 just as easily as they can go 6 and 0. But I'm expecting them to probably go you know, win four of them and go 11 and five, uh, just because some of these games are just so atrocious. Yeah. And so if we go through like Tennessee, we played them almost to a draw the first time. So we won 20 to 17. We lost 20 to 17. Yeah. Cleveland. They had a fake punt punt touchdown that game. And also Blaine Gabbert too was the starting quarterback, which is never not going to not be funny. And then uh, you've got Cleveland, and I think they're going to—they're playing much better football with Baker Mayfield as quarterback. If they had anything at wide receiver, I, they would be a much better team. They're just so banged up. If they had Josh Gordon there still instead of the gimme to the Pats, I think they would be a much better football team. They've had a lot of injuries as well. Agree with you on Indy, New York Jets. Sam Darnold is a turnover machine. I just don't even get it. Another bad passing offense. Yeah. Uh, Philly depends, yeah, because you're right. Philly's been playing terrible football. Carson Wentz is not the same as he was even, like, a little bit last year. And Jacksonville is Blake Bortles. So, yeah, you know, again, I, I fully agree. They could win all six. They could lose all six. I mean, I think just, like, 
four of these six games left are against terrible passing offenses. Philly, you know, their offensive line has been as good as it was before. And, like, I don't know. They're just so weird, especially defensively. Malcolm Jenkins is their only good, only good defensive player, uh, you know, right now, too. So, I mean, I think they should be able to beat Philly. I don't know if they will, but I think it's one of those games where it's kind of a toss-up like the rest are. Um, yeah, so I would say four and six, and they, or four and two. And the question is at 11 and five, if they can catch New England. And if they can get a bye, then you play either New England or Pittsburgh or Los Angeles potentially, and you play at home, and who knows what will happen. Uh, and then you maybe play KC in the AFC title game. So, you know, it's weird. If they can get the offense to score 27, 31 points, they would have a shot, and I would be a lot more, you know, confident, excited, optimistic for a potential postseason the way the rest of the year is going to be. But after, you know, 11 weeks, that optimism is, is like, a, like a 7% crescent moon right now. Right. And, you know, I think this team, last time I calculated it, and I think it's going to be off now because of that 42 point game against Miami is we're averaging the offense specifically the offense is averaging like 23 points a game you can't look at the game last night 54 51 you know you cannot win in today's NFL scoring at 1978 scoring rates Mm -hmm. yeah and the one thing I will say too about the game last night is I loved it because two of the best offenses were scoring a lot of points I hate the beginning of the year when these terrible offenses were scoring, you know, 31 points and nobody could tackle. And so it's nice that, like, only the really great offenses are able to do this and we have more of these 21-17 games where we have two bad offenses playing instead of the way it was, like, week two. Yeah, and if you don't think Andy Reid's going to tear apart the Texans, I just don't know what you're smoking because he, he kills us. He kills us anyway. Yeah. And so with, with that, those weapons, they're just unbelievable. You've got to, you've got to put fifty up on them to have a chance. You have, or you have to have the ability to put up fifty. I mean, I think, I think, well, I think with Houston's defense, like the run defense they have, and the pass rush that they have, they could maybe win like a 31-27 sort of game potentially. But again, you can't score seventeen points and expect to have any 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 chance at all whatsoever. And so forty, if they score forty-one, fine, you lose. If you lose forty-one, thirty-one, fine, whatever. But if you lose 31-16, that's something that, like, you go, you go to your grave sad about, you know? What if you lose 30 to nothing? That's fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Days I'll always remember. Me and no safeties needed. And at that bar, they, the, the Texans fans in there were so upset because we were laughing so hard during that game, and they finally joined <laughs> in later. It just became it was such, such a farce. <laughs> Uh, I think I'm going to write a book of poetry called Days I'll Always Remember. <laughs> so we'll talk about the Titans game real quick. Tomorrow night we're going to do the, the Week 12 preview show, and we're going to talk about every Thanksgiving game and also Texans-Titans. So I think tomorrow night, just because of how long the show's already been, we'll go a little bit more in-depth into that one. So to get uh, kind of your opinion on it, like what are you looking for in this game? Do you think it's going to be how all these other Texans games have gone? Or do you think it's going to be – you know, super exciting or a lot more scoring or what do you, what are you expecting whenever Tennessee goes to Houston Monday night for diehard Chris? <laughs> I love it. Poor Chris, but you, you deserved it, man. Um, I'm expecting the exact same slot fest that we saw in the, uh, when their matchup earlier this year, it's going to be two teams that don't want to win. It's going to be, 
two teams dry humping the football up and down the field in a pitiful attempt to have sex with it. It's, I, I just, you know, this is, we play down to the talent we play against. And that's the biggest problem I've got with Bill O'Brien because the teams have always done that. And I just see this being just a sloppy, sloppy, ugly, penalty-ridden 20-17 to 17 game again. And so that's, that's my expectation. Yeah, I, I, picking Texans games is pretty easy. You just look at the line, and if it's three points or more, you pick the other team. If it's three points or less and Houston's favorite, you pick the Texans. So right now there's no line for the game because the Texans uh, – because there's no, they have no idea who's going to play quarterback for Tennessee just yet if it's going to be Mariota or if it's going to be Blaine Gabbert. But, yeah, you just say Houston 20, opponent 17, and you said that every week, and you're going to be right. Or somewhere, you know, pretty much close to it. And so I think the same thing. I think Tennessee's going to have to run the ball a lot. They're not going to run the ball. The Texans are going to stop the run. They're going to get a lead. They're going to score 10 points. They're going to hang out and maybe score, like, seven more. Uh, maybe there's a turnover that gives them three more. And they score 20 points, and then – the Titans make a little bit of a late run, but it's too, it's too little, too late, and Houston wins 2017. That's what I'm expecting. So if you're, we're giving out our – so those who have listened to the podcast, those who know me, know that I hate no team more than the baby-eating sister fiskers of Mesopotamia. And it's kind of like with UT. Like, I don't care if the Texans go 0-14 – the rest of the games, as long as we won those two games against them, I'm pretty happy. It's considered a successful season. And the, t- the way the Texans are playing right now, I have a really bad feeling about this game. So I'm going to say Mesopotamia 23, Texans 17. Ah, 16. I'm sorry. 23 16. 23 16, huh? Yep. Even at home, I think that, that, Bill O'Brien is going to get himself at some point, and it has to happen at some point, playing for the field goal has got to cost us a game, and it has not in the last seven games. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. And also the Titans game last week, too, Dean Pease was hospitalized, so they didn't even have their regular defensive coordinator. Um, you know, Mariota got hurt. They went down 10-0 pretty fast. The Titans are a team that has to have the lead to play. And also, you know, when they beat the Patriots in that game, one of the things that really struck me was they were one of the few teams that was able to blitz, Peyton, or blitz Tom Brady and have success doing, doing so. And they got constant one open rushes, just like they did against Houston. It looked like I was watching the Baltimore Ravens uh, and how they've attacked Tom Brady before too. And so without him going up against Indy, it wasn't the same thing. And it was a lot of T.Y. Hilton being in Dory Jackson and then a lot of cool run plays. They got their running backs out in space and some wide open lanes. And offensively, that was the one thing that really confused me, though, in that game was Matt LaFleur still the offensive coordinator, and their offense looked nothing like how it looked against the Patriots. And it's not like the Colts have a great defense. They have a mediocre defense. It's fine. They have a lot of interesting, young, talented players. Yet they were back to doing that inside run, inside run, uh, play action, shotgun, uh, nobody's open sort of offense, and it, it was a complete disaster. And the other thing that was weird, too, about that game was the fact that the Titans have, are supposed to have a great pass-blocking offensive line. They had the best pass-blocking offensive line for the first month of the season. And they were obliterated by blitzes from Darius Leonard, Kenny Moore. Uh, Jabal Sheard had a great game using his hands to create pressure too. So that whole thing was sort of strange. So if the Titans look like how they looked against the Patriots, I think this could be like a really great and fun game. 
if the Titans looked how they looked last week against the Colts, it's going to be like how week three was against Houston, where it's going to be sloppy, low scoring, a lot of quarterbacks running for their lives, nobody being able to run the ball, and then just kind of watching the clock. And the rest of America going from Chiefs, uh, Chiefs Rams to this is going to be just such a letdown, you know? Yeah. What else would you expect from a Bill O'Brien offense than a letdown? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good way to end this one. Uh, Pat, uh, UT had a question. I had to give him a parlay because he's going to Vegas for uh, Thanksgiving. And so I'll give a parlay tomorrow whenever we do some picks and talk about these Thanksgiving games and kind of save for that. I may have to Venmo him some money or put some money in an envelope and send it to a PO box in Vegas for him to uh, help me try to make, you know, 60 bucks or whatever I'm willing to put down. So anyways, but thank you for listening, everybody who listened tonight. Uh, subscribe for the show if you haven't. Thank you for being on tonight, BFD. I'll talk to you next Tuesday and throughout the week in email form. And thank you for listening to Bob Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Woo! My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations. Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.